All right. Well, today we're going to be in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, as we cover verses 1 through 17 on the choice to change. Any of you guys ever heard of a guy named Sean Swarner? Anyone here ever heard of Sean Swarner? So none of you have. This was a, a young man who at the age of 13, he developed a rare cancer. Uh, he fought it and he beat it. But then he, it was followed by another very rare cancer and they were completely unrelated. And so um, both of these cancers that he had, the doctor said that he wasn't going to live two weeks to live, priest comes to give him his last rites, a 13-year-old young man fighting cancer. He beats it, and then he gets it again. He beats it. The doctors said that the odds of him getting those two cancers and beating those two cancers would be the same as if he won the lottery four times in a row with the same numbers. And so it's interesting, the resilience that this young man had, you know, and, and I'm not saying it was him. I don't know how he beat it. Of course, we know it's the doctors and ultimately it's God's decision when it comes to things like that. But, you know, when he was in, uh, he had just woken up from a coma. He's watching TV and he's watching this uh, Ironman competition that was taking place in Hawaii and so here he is in, in, in his hospital bed, and he, he told his dad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to compete in that Ironman event there in Hawaii one day. And so his dad said, okay, well, you can do this, but first you've got to travel this eight feet from here to there, because that's going to be a challenge. But you know what Sean Swarner went on to do after going through all this losing one lung. So now he's living with only one lung. You want to know what he did? He climbed the highest mountain in the world, Mount Everest, 29,000 feet. He did that with one lung. He was the first cancer survivor to climb Mount Everest. But he didn't just climb Mount Everest. He climbed every single highest mountain in every continent on planet Earth. Imagine that. Not only did he do that, he skied. Well, I mean, of course, there's a distance, but he skied to the bottom of the North Pole and he skied to the bottom of, or the top of the or nor, bo- top of the North Pole, bottom of the South Pole. How do you do all that? You climb all those mountains. You go here, you go there. And then, yes, eventually one day he did compete in the Ironman competition and, and, and you wonder, man, how in the world did that happen? Of course, we know it's God, but there was a decision that he made, right? There was a decision and he made. And as we go into our, our study today, I was thinking about this, Lord, um, the choice to change. Can a person change? You know, sometimes they do, but most of the time they don't. Most of the time, they're making excuses. Most of the time, they're right here, laying in there in that same place, whatever, that same hospital bed, where they they can't beat the cancer, and they definitely can't climb the mountain. There's a lot of times where people, they, they, you know, for whatever reason, man, they've been Christian for 30 years, and they just can't change. 
You know, one of the things that we're going to see as we go through the book of Colossians is that God says, you've got to put off the old man and you've got to put on the new man. God can do this and we can, believe it or not, man, maybe climb that mountain, whatever it is that God calls us to, no matter what the handicaps or whatever the past might be. I'm interested in that. You know, it's been a blessing being a Christian all these years, but I know God has so much more for me and, and hopefully you guys know that for you as well. Can a person change? Can a person break bad habits? Can their character become more and more genuinely like Jesus? If you want it, you can. We can. Look what we read here in Colossians 3. It says in verse 1, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. If then you were raised with Christ. So if you're a Christian, we talked about this last week, how we have made a decision to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We chose to follow him, right? And when we did, we were identified, crucified, and died with Christ. We died with him, but we didn't stay dead. We rose again. But here's the thing, you guys. You didn't just die and rise to walk on planet Earth. You rose all the way up there to be seated in the heavenly places. That's what the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 6, that we are actually seated together in the heavenly places. So he says, if then you were raised with Christ, we are to seek those things which are above. You know, and so believe it or not, I don't know if you guys realize this, but God is outside of time. So because of the fact that he's in the dim- that different dimension outside of time, he already sees us. We're already there, citizens of heaven. And so what he's basically saying is that if you're citizens of heaven, you've got to start thinking about that place called the kingdom of God. You know, in a nation where there's great concern today about securing our borders and the importance of citizenship, and rightly so, It's fascinating to think that we are actually citizens of heaven. And because the divine is outside of time, we're already there. And so right here, Paul says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, you're seated there in heaven as well. Look what he says here in verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So you got to change the settings. Do you guys ever change the settings on your phone? Do you ever change the settings on your computer? God says you need to change the settings in your mind. You need to change the settings in your life. You know, what we find is that God calls us to set our minds on things above, not on things below. And there's a lot we can say about this. I was thinking about um, the football game today, the Super Bowl. It's pretty exciting. How many of you guys are going to go to a Super Bowl party? I'm just curious. Not that many of you, a few of you. That's cool. So how many of you guys want the San Francisco 49ers to win? Just curious. I'm just want How many want the Kansas City Chiefs to win? Okay, so it's about evenly divided here. Man, we could start a fight. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, I was thinking about these guys, um, you know, uh, Patrick Mahone's, uh, um, Rock Purdy, that's his name, right? This guy's a Christian. This quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, he says every single day he wakes up and he reads Psalm 23. Did you guys know that? And so it's kind of cool. Here's a guy that was last one drafted in 2022. I guess they didn't think very highly of him, but no doubt works hard. God's grace on his life. He finds a platform and now he's going to the Super Bowl. So if I had to, to guess, I'd probably, you know, say the 49ers. Lord, please let the 49ers win. But, you know, it's kind of interesting because even he was saying, you know, when I pray, I don't pray that. I don't pray that I would win, you know, the Super Bowl per se, per se. He says, because I already have everything that I need in Christ. Why? Because his mind is set on things above, not on things below. You know, as I was thinking about the whole football thing, I I remember there was this one guy, uh, his name is Gilbert, and he's always been a Kansas City Chiefs fan. And so I remember years ago, you know, because the Chiefs, they were a terrible team. You guys know that, right? And they were, you know, they were his team. And I went over his house one day. He had a whole room. It was all Kansas City Chiefs paraphernalia. And he said, hey, you want to check out my my Kansas City Chiefs room? I said, sure. And so I started walking towards the room. He says, you got to take off your shoes. (laughs) And I said, what? Yeah, this is holy ground. I'm like, dude, I'm sorry, but I'm a Raiders fan. And I just (laughs) walked in there, you know. But you know, it's just funny. And again, here's a guy. Yeah, he likes football. And there's nothing wrong with it, you guys. My wife likes the Cowboys and just everybody has their team, right? But the thing is, is that ultimately, we as Christians, we know that it's not about that. So here's what I'm going to say, man. It's cool to win the Super Bowl, but it's better when you win the Super Soul, if you know what I'm saying. Is that okay? Is that corny? <laughs> you know, we, we're a team here. We are a church. We're a team. Um, Brock Purdy, Patrick Mahomes, where would they be without their linemen, without their offensive linemen? We're, there's 53 players on each team that are all part of it trying to win the Super Bowl. And so my prayer is that we as a church, all of us have different positions, that we would all do our best to grow, to change, and be strong so that we can win uh, the super soul, if I can say that. And so right here, Paul says, hey, don't set your mind on things on the, uh, on the below. Set your mind on things above. Don't misunderstand me. Again, you guys got to know me. I want to live life on earth to the hilt. I want to live to the fullest. If possible, I want to laugh. I want to love to the extremes. I want to have fun. I want to live a good life. I want to enjoy God's blessings. You know, we got to be saved and then we got to serve and seek him. And so the the thing about it right here, Paul says, is we have to set our mind on things above. And and, and I love what C.S. Lewis said, the way that he words it. He says, basically, we are to aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. He said, aim at earth, and you will get neither. Does that make sense to you? To me, it does. You live life in light of eternity on planet earth. You know, C.S. Lewis is an interesting individual as well. You know, C.S. Lewis, when he was 10 years old, his mom died. His mom was taken away from can- with cancer 
And what happened as a result of his mom dying is his dad was never able to recover. So he lost his mom and he lost his dad and he lost his faith. This young boy, 10 years old, went off to boarding school and eventually he became an atheist. He didn't even believe in God at all. That then was reinforced not believing in God. He didn't believe in God and he went off to boarding school. He had a mentor that reinforced his atheism and he taught him how to study. And so, yeah, he was accepted into the one most prestigious universities in Great Britain, Oxford University. It was a school that he would never pretty much leave because he was a student and then later on a professor. He did spend time eventually as a professor in Cambridge University. So Oxford and Cambridge, and he's an atheist. But then one day, as he begins to look around, as he begins to look inside, it was a combination of intuition and reason Little by little, he started believing in God. You know, next thing you know, he has a close friend of his who's dying. And while he's dying, he's screaming that he's in hell. Because hell's a real place. And then God begins to just kind of like minister to this guy. And then, you know, he develops these other friends. And in the process of time, he becomes this amazing Christian author, writer, theist, believing in God because when you look inside, it's called intuition. It, there's this written on our hearts that there is a God. And when you look around and you look at all the evidence for Jesus, he becomes this Christian guy writing so many books, brilliant. And, and, and the, the, the simple philosophy of his life which became excellent and he was there and ministering to Great Britain during World War II and just so many things that he did that God did through him you know his one philosophy was aim for heaven and you get earth thrown in and that's what Paul is saying right here Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God and, and hidden with Christ means it's safe and, and secure, safe and sealed. We're to live today in light of that day because look what it says in verse four, when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And I love the way that he summarizes our life just by describing it as Christ being our life. Paul said the same thing in Philippians 121. Uh, and I also think it's wonderful to consider that one day he will appear here. Jesus will come. Jesus will rule on planet earth for a thousand years. One re- rebellion will take place after that, but then new heaven, new earth, and Jesus will rule forever and ever. He will appear and we will appear with him. And so having that understanding, having that understanding of heaven and this glorious future that we have, I want to know God and I want to make him known. This is my life. I want to go to heaven. I want to take as many people with me as I can. This is my life. Nothing else will summarize my life. 
And that's all Paul is saying right here. So having all this in our hearts, really the book of Colossians up to that point is kind of all doctrine. Now he gets into duty. With this revelation, with this interpretation, with this expectation, now he gets into application. And look what you read in verse 5. He says, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in what you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. And so he says to put to death your members which are on the earth. And you know, my body wants to, you know, my body, unfortunately, I hate to say it, it, is, it wants to look at nude pictures. My, my flesh, my fallen nature, men, be honest. That's just the way, unfortunately, the fallen nature is, you know, um, if it weren't for the Lord, if it weren't for our convictions, we wouldn't be faithful to our wives. So he says, put to death those members. And so it doesn't mean that sexual intimacy is bad. You're not to like this, you know, say, well, we're not supposed to have, you know, sex because sex is bad. No, it's not bad. It's good. It's glorious. It's a beautiful blessing within the confines of marriage. If you've got a young guy and he's looking at pornography, God says, don't do it because it'll ruin you. What will that do if you're a guy looking at pornography? How, that, that is not going to help you when you are one day with your wife. Because when you're with your wife, you're loving on her. It's a gift that bonds you together. But now you're destroying that bond. This is say you're a young man, a young gal, and you're sleeping with him, sleeping with her. There's so many things that, 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 that destroy that young lady. Maybe you as a young guy, you're like, ah, I can handle it. Well, what'd you do to her and her and her and her? That's the only reason God says you shouldn't do that. You're sort of put to death your members, the, the, the fornication. And all that kind of stuff. Hebrews 13, 4, it says the marriage bed is undefiled. And so, you know, being married and, and sexual intimacy, there's nothing wrong with that. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge because of the fact that that's not the way we're supposed to live our life. Now, if you're here today and maybe you've fallen into sexual sin, God's not here to condemn you. God will forgive you. When Remember when they found the, the woman that caught in adultery and they brought her to Jesus and he said, I don't condemn you. This is all I say. Mia, go and sin no more. Because when you have this intimacy, healthy and holy, it, it's part of what we would call a wonderful life. Sex is to be within the confines of marriage. Fornication is sex outside of a marriage. It's to be put to death. Unbridled passion, uncleanness, that's being dirty, impure, lust. And more than likely, when we read about covetousness right here, what we're reading about in reference is when you covet someone else's girl, you're going to sleep with her, that's someone else's future wife, someone else's guy, that's covetousness. 
And that's idolatry when you put maybe yourself before God or maybe you put them before God. This is, this is radical stuff. You know, Paul here is interesting what he says. Uh, he says in verse 7, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Now, before I was a Christian, I did all that stuff. But when I became a Christian, I waited until marriage. Young guys here, single guys here, I beg of you, don't do that to the, to the girl that you're going to be with one day. Don't try to coerce her or persuade her or manipulate her to do that. No, that belongs in marriage. And you gals, the same thing. Don't let that happen to you. You're a God's daughter. You know, when we look at this, because of these things, Paul here says, the wrath of God is going to come upon the sons of disobedience. So, you know, maybe, you know, you're hearing what God is saying and hopefully it comes across true that, listen, God's not trying to take away your fun. It's just that the way that he designed sexual intimacy is to be between husband and wife for life because it's a beautiful bond between them, right? And so you're sleeping around all the time with all these different people, then the bond or the stickiness, it goes away. So all he's saying is don't do that because it's not good for you. And that's why the judgment comes. Maybe you're here and you need that one. Well, I don't care what he says. Oh, he just talked about the wrath of God. Okay, well, maybe that's, that'll strike a little healthy fear in somebody. It says because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So, so don't say you weren't warned. Listen, it's not the wrath of men. It's not the wrath of, of angels. It's the wrath of God. And that's what the Bible says so clearly. I used to live that way, but not anymore. Paul says in verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. How many of you guys do you ever get mad? Does anyone here ever get mad besides me? All right. Yeah. And God says, hey, you know, there's a good anger, right? When you're angry at others being mistreated. But there's a, there's a bad anger as well. Sometimes, you know, God says, be angry and do not sin. We're to put off these things. Wrath, that's in reference to rage, blasphemy. You know, I, I can't believe how many times people just say, Jesus Christ. And they're Christians, I mean, but in a bad way. I mean, you hear it in the movies over and over again, Jesus Christ, why, why do you say that? It's blasphemy or the F-bombs. Sexual intimacy said in a different way, in a different word, over and over and over again. It's like what? Filthy language. You know, human excrement. That word is just thrown out all the time. And sometimes you got Christians that are cussing. It doesn't make any sense. It shows that there's dirtiness in the heart because Luke 6.45 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I used to sleep around. I used to talk like that, but not anymore. Because I've changed. And even though I had cancer, and even though I was destined to die, somehow 
one way or another, I was able to climb that mountain and hopefully I'll climb that mountain. Hopefully I'll change. That's the way we have to be as Christians. It says right here, um, you know, filthy language. And then he says in verse nine, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Hopefully we come to a place in our life, you guys, where we, we just can't lie. I mean, some people, they're really good liars. It's not a good thing. <laughs> it's better when, you know, you can, someone's trying to lie and you can kind of see right through them. Oh, you're lying. You can, because I'm not good at it, right? Because if you can lie about things, then you can pretty much do anything. I don't know, just to give you a silly example, my wife keeps me accountable and I think she's okay with that. I think God gave her to me to keep me accountable. One day when I die with integrity, hopefully um, she'll get the credit, I think. <laughs> but, um, you know, like she, sometimes she'll even wake up in the morning. Hey, did you, were you on social media? And so there's been a few times where I was and I wanted to tell her no, but I couldn't lie. So now, you know what I do? I said, I better not do my social media early in the morning because she might ask me. And notice what it says right here. It says, do not lie to one another, verse 9, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. So now I, I try to do the right thing. That way I don't have to lie about it. But if you're okay lying, then you can do anything because all you have to do is lie about it. But if you're not okay lying... If you know that that's the language of Lucifer, that he was a liar from the beginning, the Bible says in John 8, 44, that lying is the dialect of the devil, then you will not lie. You will never lie. How do I look today, sweetheart? Oh, man, you know what? I, I got to go. No, I'm just joking. How was dinner? It was delicious. Every once in a while, you know. Um, all I'm saying is that you just know you can't do that, right? Even right here, he says we put off the line because we put off the deeds. We put off the old, but we put on the new. And this is what I'm talking about changing. You can't put on the new jacket until you took off the old. Look at verse 10, and I've put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. You see, you put on the new nature, and, and part of putting on the new nature is kind of interesting what he says right here. You're renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him, and then he, he talks about all these different you know, categories of individuals, Right? Um, basically, the way that it's worked, and if, again, if I could just use a computer illustration, um, you ever download anything? You guys ever download anything onto your phone? Download stuff on your computer? You do, right? When we got saved, we got this download. We got the Holy Spirit. We got the divine nature inside of us. And this is the only way that my language could change. This is the only way that I could ever stay pure. This is the only way I could ever climb that mountain. It's kind of like Superman, if I can just use Superman as an example. How is he so strong? How is he so strong on planet Earth? He wasn't like that over in Krypton. How is he so strong? Because he's from a different you know, planet. He's from a different place. That's us. 
That's us. You know, we're from heaven. We have this heavenly citizenship. We have the divine nature. And, and not only that, part of having the divine nature is a realization that just because someone else is of a different nationality, just because someone else has a different cultural upbringing, just because someone else has a, has a, has a different economic or social status, just because someone else, and he, he gives this list of all these different types of people right here, it doesn't matter what their background is. They're all wonderfully created in the image of God. And so we love them. He even talks about how we treat people. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. You know, why, why do we want to love on people? You know, why is it? It doesn't matter their cultural upbringing. You guys are not bigots, right? It doesn't matter what their skin color is. It doesn't matter if they're rich. It doesn't matter if they're poor, right? How does that happen to an individual to where they want to love on, on others? And I think, you know, one of the things or one of the ways or one of the reasons is because of the fact that we know how much we're loved unconditionally by God. That's why it's interesting even how the way he starts verse 12, therefore as who? The elect of God, holy, beloved. That's who we are. We are the elect of God, chosen by God. We are holy, set apart by God and his special people. We are, you know, um, beloved by him. The other day when my wife and I were in Chick-fil-A uh, drive through and we were having a conversation, it has nothing to do with Chick-fil-A, but... Um, you know, we were talking about this and she said something and I thought, you know what, that's profound. Uh, it says, um, oh man, how is it worded again? Basically, we don't love God because of what he will do for us. We love God because of what he has done for us. We don't love God because of what he will give us. We love God because of what he's already given to us. It all goes back to Calvary when he gave his son. It all goes back to what he did there, how he saved us from our sins. You know, so, and I don't want to judge anybody, but every once in a while, you know, we might read a story of this beautiful 20-year-old girl who married this 70-year-old man who's a billionaire. And again, I don't want to judge her. Maybe she does love him. But, but probably, more than likely, she's only with him for what he can give to her. More than likely, although I can't judge every single one. And some people, they have that kind of relationship with God where, you know, I, I'm only with God because he's going to give me something, you know, that I, I want in my life. And it's all going to turn out real, real, real nice. And, you know, he, what he's going to do for me. And, and no, then that's like, but I just meant that's not the way we roll. We love because we've been loved. We, we forgive because we've been forgiven. How can I not love 
someone? When I have been loved in such a way, how can I not forgive someone? When I have been forgiven like this. This is what Paul is saying right here. You know, we are elect, we are holy, we are beloved. It makes it easier to bear with one another, making allowances for the faults of our friends or family, forgiving others, even as Christ forgave us. And then in one sense, it's kind of summarized there in verse 14, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. That's a super glue, Christian super glue. (laughs) Above all these things, does that sound important? Above all these things, put on love. Above all these things, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. See, he covers a lot of things here. And, you know, each one, you can guys, hopefully you can go home and you can just meditate on it. You know, the, the word peace right here, and even the word let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The word let is, means permission. You have to let peace have permission to have that prominent place where? In your heart. You know, how many people are struggling because they don't have peace? Why don't you have peace? Usually it's because you're afraid. You know, usually it's because you don't have that understanding of the love that God has for you, right? One of the things that we see here is God says you have to let that peace permeate your heart. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. There's that word let again. Don't let it be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. We have nothing to be afraid of. You want to know why? Because you are blood-bought, bonafide believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you are Christians. Nothing to be afraid of. If anything touches me, it's because God allowed it, didn't necessarily author it, but allowed it, and he knew eventually that it would be good for me. And God would work all things together for good to those who love him are the called according to his purpose. See, we got to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. But I like what David Guzik said because it's more than that. He said, the rule of the peace of God means that peace should characterize the community of God's people and that peace is a standard for discerning God's will. You know, that's one of the things that my pastor would always ask me. Like when I'd go to him, he usually wouldn't tell me what to do. You know, hey, pastor, you know, what do you think about this? And, you know, we would talk a little bit, you know, and he would just say, well, do you have a peace about it? Do you have a peace about it? See, that peace right there is an interesting thing in the Greek language. It means to act as an umpire. So if you don't have a peace about it, nah, I'm not going to do it. If you do and you check the scriptures and it's biblical and you're peaceful, see, now you can go forward. God will lead you in that way, you know? Like, let's just say you're here a girl and you're considering that guy, but you're not really sure about that guy. You don't have a peace about it. It says right here that that peace is supposed to act like an umpire. Listen, if you're not sure about that guy, 
you got to just say, hey, you're out, like an umpire would say. You know what I'm saying? Because when it comes to a guy or a girl that one day you're going to marry, it shouldn't be, I'm not sure. It shouldn't be a question mark. It should be an exclamation point. Oh, yeah, this is clearly God's will. I have a peace about it. And God can use that in so many different ways of making decisions. He says right here, we are called uh, in one body, verse 15, and we are to be thankful. He'll talk more about that. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so when you, when you compare Ephesians and Colossians, they're kind of like parallel uh, epistles. And uh, you read them side by side, and it's amazing the way that they go together. But Ephesians says uh, basically to, you know, let the Spirit of God, you know, we're to be under the influence of the Spirit of God. And here Colossians says to be under the influence of the, of the Word of God and, and to let it dwell in you richly. I love the way that he talks about that. But it's not just in the message. It's also in the music. Isn't that cool? The way that he says right there, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So when the worship team is leading us in songs, this is why we do it at church. You're like, hey, why do they sing at church? Because this is what we do. And as they're singing, they're actually teaching. That's why I have to make sure that the lyrics that we sing are always biblical. The some of the music that's out there, if I could just say this, be careful. Because some of the music that's out there doesn't line up with Scripture. So those are the types of songs that you're going to kind of want to try to avoid. But it's a powerful way to be able to teach, not just the music, but the message. And I just hope that you guys know that. Do you guys sing when we do worship? I'm just curious. Do you sing? I was talking to Henry the other day, and I said, you know what, Henry, we need to put a camera right here. (laughs) That way we can just look at all the congregation and see who's singing and who's sleeping. I'm just joking. We wouldn't do that (laughs) You know, um, I hope you're singing because when you're singing, it's so beautiful to see right here that we are teaching and we are admonishing people. That word admonish, it means to warn or even reprimand. We're, 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 we're sharing words of hope that will find a home in their heart. I was thinking about when uh, Paul and Silas were singing and praying in Acts sixteen twenty-five, and the prisoners were listening to them. And so sing loud. There's one song left at the end of service today. Uh, I, I would ask that you sing because know that you're teaching, you're admonishing. And it's much more powerful, I think, than even sometimes the pulpit ministry. So, you know, a lot that Paul here covers uh, up to this point. Next week, we're going to get into husbands and wives. So don't make excuses and not be here, okay? But... Um, you know, we covered a lot, and, and you might be wondering, well, why didn't Paul cover every area of concern? Well, that's what he does in the next verse, in verse 17. And whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
So whatever you do, whatever you do, you're doing whatever it is that you're doing, right? You need to ask yourself, can Jesus put his signature on that? Whatever it is that you say, whatever it is in word or deed, would Jesus say that? Can Jesus put his signature on that? And that way it covers every single area of our life. And as you're able to do that, just think about that, you guys. You can actually do and say what Jesus would do and say. That's like climbing Mount Everest, 29,000 feet with one lung. It used to have cancer. Think about what Sean, this guy did, is just so amazing to me. And that's in the physical realm. And God is just saying, okay, Manny, you know, snap out of it. And stop. No more making excuses, okay? Be the man you're supposed to be. Bless your wife. Bless your kids. Bless the church that you belong to. Bless the world that you live in. Leave it different in a better way because you chose to be different. We can do this. As a matter of fact, what he says right there at the very end, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, I, I think the reason he says that is because we can actually do this. I can do this. I can die with integrity. I can do this. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And so let me just give you guys six things, actually seven things, and then we'll close. I think we have them on the screen. Um, The choice to change. Number one, I want to encourage you, myself, to focus on God. Seek the things above. Set your mind on things above. Like C.S. Lewis said, aim for heaven. You get earth thrown in. Number two, fear God. Um, There is a place called hell and there is what's called discipline and God will discipline those he loves. And so let there be a healthy fear. Number three is the word of God. Let it dwell in you richly. And so I want to encourage you guys You know, just continue to study it all the days of your life. Number four, know that you have the nature of God within you because you're a Christian. We've got that download. Number five is the love of God. Um, And it's so cool to think that someone like me, um, someone like you, but just know there are no exceptions. He loves the whole wide world. Uh, Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Every single one he loves with all his might. We have to know that. That's who you are. That changes us when we know we're loved. And then number six is to be that man. Just whatever you do, whatever, word or deed, be that woman of God. And then number seven, it's not up there, but if you want to make the choice to change, it begins with a choice to follow Jesus. And if you're here and you've never made that decision, and you want to know uh, for sure, you know, that you're God's child, that all these promises that we were talking about today belong to you, then you have to make that choice. You know, it would be like, you know, someone asking you to marry them. You have to say yes or no. That's what Jesus is asking you today. Will you marry me? Will you be mine? Is it a yes or is it a no? There's no, nothing in between.